We will now hear the reading from Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 to 14, if you're following in your Bibles or on the screen. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Thanks be to God. Thanks very much. Um, we're starting a new series on the Reformation, and we'll go through uh, Luther um, on, glo- uh, on faith and uh, grace alone. And next week, we'll go through life of Zwingli and see how, uh, the, what the Reformers had to say about Bible being our only authority. And the week after that, um, uh, Christ's glory And the fourth week, we will cover the communion and what that actually means uh, for us. But I will refer to Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. So if you have your Bibles, please do get it, open it up. Please do check to see if this is what uh, the Bible is saying. But let's pray that these words will speak to all all of us. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks for the... Reformers um, who went back to the Bible and brought these truths of the Bible clearly out. And Lord, now we pray as we look at the same text that they looked at, that these words will come alive to us and shape the way that we look at the world, the way we look at you and how we live our lives in response to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know uh, what you think, but sometimes actually adding things uh, is subtracting. That's true often in cooking. I remember cooking um, some steak, and I added more salt to it, right? Because you can't taste what what it's like until it's all done. So I put more salt to it, ruined the whole thing. I think it's actually, this, is, uh, this must be true sometimes of your experience of my sermon. <laughs> you think actually, I'm sure you've had moments when you thought, ah, this sermon is going to be over. And it was pretty good. But then I kept on talking for about five more minutes and you thought, ah, that, was, that, that, that didn't work out. Well, sometimes adding is subtracting. If we add anything uh, to the gospel, then actually we get nothing. This is true of the gospel. As one writer put it, Christ plus nothing equals everything. But if you add anything to Christ, then you get nothing. If we add to what Christ has done, then we get nothing because that's not what Christ has done. At the time of Paul's writing uh, this letter to Galatians, 
Many Jewish Christians, including Apostle Peter, were saying that you actually had to put your faith in Jesus Christ, but then had to add Jewish customs, Jewish laws to what Christ had done already. Start fulfilling them like circumcision. It might seem harmless, you might think, actually to add to what Christ has already done, but this is what Paul um, said about these people as he began this letter in Galatians chapter 1. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is no, really, no gospel at all. He's saying, actually, to add anything to the gospel, actually, that makes it no gospel at all. And 500 years ago, Luther started the Reformation by nailing nailing the 95 Theses on the door uh, of the church in Wittenberg, Because the Catholic Church added to the gospel, added to what Jesus had done, making that no gospel at all. It was teaching that in order for a person to be saved, one had to turn to Christ first, be baptized by the Catholic Church, but then you also had to become a good person, good enough for heaven. And who can do that in this world? The church said, actually, the saints did that. But what happens to the rest of us who don't reach that point of holiness at the time of our death? But they had a solution. For those who have turned to Christ but wasn't good enough for heaven, they were sent to purgatory. Purgatory was not heaven or hell, but somewhere in between. Uh, Purgation means cleansing, right? You are sent there to be further cleansed so you could reach that state. You see, not only did the Catholic Church add to what Christ had done, the good works that you had to become a good person, they added something that is not in the Bible at all, purgatory, to justify their equation. And Luther found all of this appalling. What was worse, actually, was that the Catholic Church was making money off of this by selling certificates of forgiveness called indulgences that got you out of purgatory for money. Indulgences were tickets out of purgatory that you could buy for yourself or actually for your deceased relatives, for the people that you knew. You could buy one. The logic was that since the Apostle Peter was the first pope, the one who was given the key to the kingdom of heaven, he could... uh, take people out. He Surely he had the authority to get people out of purgatory and into heaven by his authority, by drawing from the treasury of merits. So it granted indulgences um, to people like uh, soldiers who went to the Crusades in the 11th century. They promised uh, uh, indulgences if they came and fought the Muslims. And Pope Leo X and other popes funded their building projects by selling these indulgences. In fact, if you go to the Vatican, the great Basilica of St. Peter, that was largely funded by selling of indulgences. He actually commissioned a monk, Pope Leo X, uh, called John Tetzel, uh, to sell these indulgences in Germany. And let me give you a snippet of how he sold uh, these indulgences. This is what he preached um, as he sold these, uh, these things. He said, open your ears. 
Here the father saying to his son, the mother to her daughter, we bore you, nourished you, brought you up, left you our fortunes, and you are so cruel and hard that now you are not willing to, to, uh, for so little to set us free. Will you, not, will you let us lie here in flames? Will you delay our promised glory? Remember that you are able to release them for as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. As soon as you put that money and buy indulgences, they will be freed from purgatory. That's what he was preaching. This is what he was preaching from the pulpit at that, t- at the, at that time in the, 16th, in the 16th century. This is why Luther reserved no harsh words for the church, for the Pope. He called the Pope Antichrist in the 1545 edition of his Bible. The whore of Babylon in the book of Revelation is depicted as the Pope because what they were teaching was no gospel at all. So he nailed the 95 Theses, which are mostly about indulgences. And he declared that the repentance and faith in Jesus Christ are the only requirements for salvation, that there is no need for indulgences, no such a thing as purgatory, and that faith in Christ is the only requirement for salvation. That we cannot add anything to what Jesus has done. We're saved by grace alone, faith in Christ alone. But Luther didn't always know this truth. In fact, that he didn't really see a Bible until he was 20. Because at that time, right, the Catholic Church did not want ordinary people to read the Bible on their own. They wanted to control how the Bible was interpreted. So they didn't translate the Bible from Latin to common language. So until he was 20, he didn't actually have a Bible to look at but when he became a Christian, uh, when he became a monk, he had started having access to the Bible and he started reading. When he got his doctorate in theology, he started reading, not only reading, but teaching the Bible. He first taught the Psalms and then taught Romans and Galatians. He lectured on these letters, Romans and Galatians, and what he found in the Bible changed his life. Um, So early on in his days as a monk, because he didn't have that assurance of salvation that comes by faith in Christ alone, he would... Uh, uh, he, he was worried about his salvation. He would go to his confessor and confess his sins obsessively. At one point, many times, he would, uh, at one point, he confessed his sins for six hours. And his confessor told him, actually, when you have something more serious, please do come back. He tried so hard to be good enough for God. And this is what he wrote of his time as a monk. He said, I was a good monk. And I kept the rule of my order so strictly that I may say that if ever a monk got into heaven by his monkery, it was I. All my brothers in the monastery who knew me would bear me out. If I had kept on any longer, I should have killed myself with vigils and prayers and reading and other works. What was shocking to me as I was reading all these is actually that Luther didn't find any comfort in Jesus at all because what he found in Jesus was actually higher standards. You read the Sermon on the Mount. You're t- told to turn the other cheek, to forgive, and all these, all these things. He said, actually, the standards of Jesus was too high, too hard that anyone should fulfill it. 
I think Luther experienced our text. Verse 10, chapter 3 of Galatians, didn't he? For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Paul was writing to the Jews who added to the grace of Christ. But 1,500 years later, Luther was in the same situation. The Catholic Church that added to the grace of Christ and said that you had to be good enough. And so as Luther was trying to be good enough, he found himself under a curse of the law. Because that's what the Bible actually promises. Deuteronomy chapter 27, where this, this Galatians text is from, says that if, you, if God's people broke the law, that they are under a curse, that they are not freed. And that's precisely what Luther found. He knew what was right, but he was unable to do them. He saw himself breaking the law time and again and falling himself short of God's standards. So clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God. So Luther wrote, I was, my, I was myself more than once driven to the very abyss of despair, so that I wished I had never been created. Love God? I hated him. Luther hated God because God seemed so cruel. He had these impossible standards that no one could meet, and he seemed to him that it seemed to him that God delighted in sending people to hell when they couldn't meet the standards. Although Luther's situation describes verses 10 and 11 perfectly, he didn't see the solution in the next verse. In the next verses, because before becoming a monk, he didn't have access to a Bible. But as he started lecturing on the Romans and the Galatians, that changed his life. He read our text today while teaching the book of Galatians. He read the last part of verse 11 as well. The righteous will live by faith. That no one is justified by the law because the point of the law wasn't to bring justification, to make you right before God. Contrary to what the Catholic Church uh, taught, no one who relies on the, ju- on the law is justified before God. The point of the law was to bring you into the point of condemnation. To say, actually, I cannot do it by myself. No one in the world can do it by themselves. That we cannot fulfill the requirement of the law. The law should then lead us to the grace of Christ. To the one man who did fulfill the law. Jesus Christ. And that's what the next verses say. Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. What we deserve, Jesus became. He hung on a pole, a tree, the cross for us. He did this so that he could give us what he deserves, which is the right standing before God, the righteousness of God. And that comes by faith when we trust him freely. Verse 14. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through, uh, through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promised promise of the Holy Spirit. You see, he finally discovered it in the Bible. We can't earn our salvation, but righteousness of God comes through faith 
in Jesus Christ. You become a new person, have the right relationship with God by having his Holy Spirit when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And when Luther realized this, he was liberated. He was changed forever. He said, I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole of scripture took on a new meaning, whereas before the justice of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet and greater love. This passage of Paul became to me a gate to heaven. If you have a true faith that Christ is your savior, then at once, you have a gracious God, for faith leads you in and opens up, up God's heart and will that you should see pure grace and overflowing love. Remember what he said about God, how he hated him. But now through faith in Christ, he came to see God's love and God's grace. Christ plus nothing equals everything. Friends, this isn't just a Reformation truth. This is actually the Bible's truth. This is the reason why God sent his son. God sent his son to become a curse for us, to hang on the tree for us so that we don't have to, so we would be freed from the curse of the law. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that we, by trusting in him, would receive righteousness, his righteousness. So when God looks at us, he will see Christ's righteousness because that is what we receive from him when we turn to him. And if you're not yet a Christian today, would you consider these words? Would you examine your life? Can you fulfill the law? Can you even fulfill your own standards? Whatever standard you have, can you go fulfilling that? You cannot. Turn to Christ. Put your faith in him, and you will receive salvation. You will receive righteousness that comes by faith alone, through Christ's grace alone. Well, you might say this truth, well, it was good for Luther 500 years ago, but what does that have to do with us today? Well, unfortunately, the modern Catholic Church has not been corrected on this issue. They did go through what we now call the Counter-Reformation, where actually they did correct many things. They got rid of uh, uh, greedy popes and priests having children, illegitimate children, and, and even the, in, the selling of indulgences largely uh, went away. But on this critical issue of justification, how we are saved, the Catholic Church could not affirm, could not agree with the Reformers that we are saved by faith alone. Council of Trent said actually that uh, we can't be sure for certain, no one can be uh, sure for certain whether one is saved or not, that actually our good works contribute to our standing before God. That is still their official teaching on justification, that without works, one cannot become good enough for God that what Jesus has done is not enough. And incredibly, selling of indulgences, that's not over either. It crops up time to time if you look around. And this is uh, 2009, when the Catholic Church of uh, Diocese of Brooklyn sold indulgences. It was on their website. This was from a New York Times article around there. 
uh, where they quote Bishop uh, uh, Nicholas uh, DiMarzio uh, saying, why are we bringing indulgences back? Well, because there are sin in the world. It wasn't, they didn't sell these indulgences for, directly for, for money, but one could qualify for one by making charitable contributions, doing good things for the church. It was still given. And not only could you get one for yourself, actually you could get one for another person, a person who has died. This isn't over because the, the theology of the Catholic Church has not changed on this, uh, on, 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 on this issue. We need to watch out. Of course, I don't want you to think that the Catholic Church is bad. They all, they've all done bad things. I know many good Catholics who genuinely believe in Jesus Christ, and the Catholic Church has done great things for the world. But that doesn't mean we say that's okay. They're fine. You see, despite of what many Catholics believe, this is their teaching is at odds with the Bible. What they teach about salvation coming by faith in Christ alone, by through grace of Christ alone. So what should we do with our Catholic friends? We should pray for them and we should reach out to them. We must assure them that, that, that we are saved not by our works but by faith in Christ. And we can't, do that from a, we can't do that from a place of self-righteousness. I mean, the very gospel that we want to share with others says that we are sinners. We have no standing for self-righteousness. But we should do it with love, from a place of love, as uh, William Booth once put it, as a beggar who has found bread um, to another beggar, uh, telling another beggar where, we, uh, where he has found bread. But we also need to watch out for ourselves because actually adding to the gospel is very easy to do. I don't know about you, but there are times when I think I am a terrible person. But there are moments when I think I'm pretty good. I've become a pretty good person, better than, better than the most maybe. And the more dangerous time is not actually when we have sinned and are and we know that we cannot uh, be right with God by ourselves. The more dangerous time is when we have been good. When we think to ourselves, actually, maybe I am good enough for heaven. Because on those moments, at those moments, we're far away from what Christ has done. We're far away from the grace of Christ, which is the only basis for assurance of salvation. We can only rely on the grace of Christ by faith in him. And that's what Luther has reminded us. This is what he wrote. I know a man who has gone through such pains. Um, Can you go back one slide? I know a man who has gone through such pains that had they lasted for one-tenth of an hour, he would have been reduced to ashes. In this disturbance, salvation begins. When a man believes himself to be utterly lost, light breaks in. Peace comes in in the word of Christ through faith. Christianity is never about how good we have been, but whether we recognize ourselves to be sinners in need of Christ, the righteousness of Christ. And that can only come by faith in him. But as we end, I don't want you to just think about what we should do 
maybe with our Catholic friends, um, or what we should watch out for. The main thing out of this text and out of this sermon that I'd love to get, uh, um, I'd love for you to get out, is just to reflect on the passage and reflect on the message that's there and just marvel at what Christ has done. Next, please. What, what God has done is amazing. There was, a, there was only one righteous man on earth ever, and he became a curse for us. He hung on that tree for us, and because of that, salvation comes free of charge. All that we need to do is to turn to him and to look at him and trust that he has done everything, that Christ plus nothing indeed is everything. Let's pray. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks for Jesus, for what he has done. Help us to reflect on that. Help us never to grow out of that. Help us to... uh, May these words uh, dig deep into our lives and take firm root that our lives might be changed that we might live our lives in, in, in thanksgiving and praise of, 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 of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.